Gallivanting Goblins, an original audio drama written by Alexandra Riku, with music and lyrics by Danielle Sharp, in collaboration with Beth Fiducia Brooks. We hope that by enjoying the story at home, you'll be able to escape into the wonder of your imagination. Perhaps you'll be inspired to join our Goblin Artwork Challenge. Our Goblin friends would love to see the artwork you produce, so don't forget to share online using the hashtag WassailGallivantingGoblins or by displaying them in your windows at home. We hope you enjoy our story. Many years ago, in a small town on the edge of the ancient county of Somerset, there lived a little girl called Flora. She was the youngest of her four sisters, and while they went to work in the cloth mills in the town, Flora would play outside as she was still too small for such hard and long work. Every night when Mary, Betty and Emily would come home, she could see the tiredness in their young bodies, their sleepy eyes and the heaviness in their feet. She remembered the days when Mary had told her bedtime stories of hunky punks and fairies and how Betty and Emily would sing so brightly in church that the vicar called them the Lark Sisters. But these days, Mary was usually too tired to tell her stories before bed. And with each passing Sunday, Betty and Emily's voice seemed to grow quieter and duller. Flora worried for her sisters, but she worried most for their pa. John Dimpsey was the tallest man in Froome, or so his little Flora always insisted. Built like a bull, yet gentler than any turtle dove, John had been ma and pa to his girls since Flora was a babe in arms. While the other men would take themselves off to the griffin after a hard day's labour, making merry and rowdy as was their fashion, John Dimpsey would head on home to his girls for a supper of potatoes and scrape. He loved his girls, and Flora adored her pa. He was their light, the good-humoured and tender warmth they'd always known, but Flora had begun to sense a sadness within him. He would return home later, and new lines had begun to form on his weathered face, lines of worry and fatigue. Their suppers had grown smaller in their portions, and pa was even more conscious of not letting the oil lamp burn too long into the night time. It felt as if their home was growing smaller and darker and it wasn't until Flora overheard a conversation between Pa and Mary that she understood why. So it really is closing then? It is. Basil says we just can't compete. But if you lose your job at the ironworks, how will we pay the rent? Betty, Emily and I are working longer shifts as it is and Flora's too young. I'll find a way. But... I'll find a way. I'm sorry, Mary. I just... I don't want you girls working yourselves to nothing like Wesley Jessup's kiddies. It ain't fair on you. I'm your pa. I'm supposed to provide and care for you. Lord knows you've done enough already to support this family. I've never minded it, pa. I know, my love. But I want a better life for you all. I thought your mar dying was the great test God had in store for me. I never thought it would be this. The ironworks have always been here. It survived plagues and wars and revolutions. How can it disappear now? I don't know, Pa. But we'll find a way. Like you said, I'm sure of it. But even Flora could hear the hesitance in her sister's voice. 
Pa had worked at the Fussell Ironworks since before even Mary was born. It had been his life. His body had been hardened and shaped by the labour of smelting and crafting and smithing. When Flora had been very small, she had wondered whether he was made from iron himself. Such was the strength and hardiness of his body. If the ironworks failed, she wondered, would that mean Pa would wither and disappear like Ma had done? He was so much a part of the iron, and the iron was so much a part of him, it seemed impossible that one could not exist without the other. Flora quietly crept back to the bed she shared with Betty and Emily, her mind worrying over the secret news she had just heard. Pulling up the wool blanket and fiddling with the frayed edged, Flora wondered whether there was anything she could do to help. I'm too little to work with Mary and Betty and Em, but I have to do something. I want to help, but what can I do? Yet though she fretted, Flora could not fight off the tiredness that overwhelmed her, and it was in her dreams that she found an answer to her question. Her senses were filled with the colour and the aromas of wildflowers, dazzling her with their beauty in the dream world she slipped into. She remembered the Sunday evenings spent in July, playing in Vallis Woods with her sisters, paddling through the Eggford Brook and playing hide-and-seek in amongst the beech and oak trees. But in this dream, she was with her pa, and he was showing her all the different wildflowers of the wood. These purple ones are called columbine. And these great yellow ones, they look like buttercups. They're called king cups. These ones are pretty, Pa. They are, but best not to pick them, no. Those are foxgloves, and they have a nasty poison in them. But do foxes wear them? Oh no, my love. But my old man used to say that Unky Punks wore them as caps. They'd be a pretty bonnet for a fairy. That they would, my girl. <laughs> that they would. You see these pretty little flowers, Flora? These are cowslips, the prettiest little primrose that lasts all summer. Flora! Cowslips? What are you talking about, Flo? It's time to get up. Blinking the sleep from her eyes, Flora gazed up at her sister in the pale morning light. Was it that time already? But even in the bleariness of her return from the Land of Nod, Flora felt an energy bubbling up within her. Her mind suddenly filled with the most wonderful idea, a plan that would help lift her family's spirits. Come help me put her the bread flow. Can Emmy do it? Pulling on her pinafore, Flora was itching with the excitement of her plan. Emmy's fixing the fire. You can at least help with breakfast, Flo. But I... Catching herself before she let slip her plan, Flora fell silent. She wanted this to be a surprise. The kind of surprise that would make Pa grin from ear to ear and cheer up her sisters. She wanted Mary to be filled with her joyous stories again and to hear Emily and Betty's voices glitter through the air like Lark's calls. She wanted it so badly she could feel another wave of excitement ripple up her spine. But as her sister queried her, Flora would not let her secret slip. Are you in a rush to be somewhere, little Flo? No, just want to get on is all. Then come on and buy the rest of this cob for me. Flora couldn't stop fidgeting as she helped her sisters with the breakfast, her mind racing with the details of her plan. 
She barely even noticed how tough the stale loaf was as she gulped it down with a cup of water. Finished! Will I get down from the table? Where are you off to in such a hurry? Nowhere. I just want to enjoy the sunny day. I don't know what's gotten into you this morning. It's like you've got ants in your pants. You ain't off to see a boy, are you? No, that is disgusting. You sure? Because I think little Wesley Jessup's taken a fancy to you. No, little Wesley picks his nose and eats it. He's horrible. All right, all right, stop your teasing. Just make sure you're back for supper time, Flo. And don't get your dress all muddy again. I won't. And without a moment's hesitation, Flora was flying out the front door and down the path of their weaver's cottage. A pleasant breeze cooled her cheeks as she ran up the cobbles of Selwood Road, heading out towards the woodland of the Vale beyond. Flowers always bring joy and happiness. They'll be the perfect way to cheer up Pa and Barry and Betty and Em. They'll be so pleased and maybe they don't have to worry about all their troubles for a little while. Flora was elated with her plan walking with a spring in her step up the Broadway and enjoying the warmth of the midsummer day. The bright blue light of the morning began to turn dappled and green as Flora walked on into the Vale. The trees and nettles beginning to encroach upon her like a gentle embrace. She would find the most glorious flowers, the biggest and the brightest to bring home to her family, she would fill the old milk jug with water from the pump and place the flowers in with the care a mother showed a nipper, arranging them like the fancy ladies did in their big houses. The king cups she found in the shade of a clearing where the nettles gave way to grass and moss. Their sunny faces glowed up out of their lily pad shaped leaves like sovereign coins fallen from a rich man's pocket and Flora picked them with delicate fingers so as not to crush their shiny yellow petals. I wonder why they're called king cups. Maybe the punky kings uses them as goblets for their fairy feasts. As she walked deeper into the vale, she could hear the warning calls of blackbirds and the joyous song of the thrush, its own symphony of different cadences and notes. The sounds of the Mells River joined in with the wild orchestra, its rippling waters bringing a new rhythm to the music that surrounded her. The buzz of a bumblebee held her attention, watching its furry, plump form laze across the pathway and into a small glade of sheltering rock and heart's tongue ferns. She followed the course of the bumblebee as it hovered and floated through the air, eventually landing on the star-like petals of a purple and white flower. Flora beamed with satisfaction at the discovery. Columbine! Oh, it's so beautiful and the shape of the petals are so fancy. No wonder it's called Granny's Bonnet. Carefully picking the blooms that sprang out from the large clover-shaped leaves, Flora admired the collection that she'd already accumulated in her pinafore dress. I'll have more than enough soon. If only I could find some cowslips. Further and further she walked into the woods carefully sticking to the path until a shard of metallic blue caught her eye. It glittered and zoomed through the air with such strange speed that at first she thought it was a hunky punk until it landed on an elder sapling. In its moment of rest, Flora saw it as a dragonfly. 
the biggest and most beautiful dragonfly she had ever seen. It was rare to see a dragonfly in town, and Flora had always been fascinated by the strange little beasts, with wings like stained glass window and bodies that seemed crafted from precious metals. She was desperate to have a closer look at it, perhaps even to catch it and hold it for a while, so she made a beeline through the bracken and nettles towards the elder sapling. But before she could get within a few feet, the dragonfly flitted away, moving like an arrow through the woodland. But that would not deter Flora. Wait, Mr. Dragonfly! I only want to look at you! Leaping through the nettles and brambles and bracken like a fawn, Flora raced through the woodland in pursuit of her dragonfly. She would catch glimpses of its iridescent body darting through the warm air every now and then. That encouraged her onward. She would see her dragonfly up close and she would touch him. She was sure of it. But as the undergrowth gave way to the clear haven of a brook bed, the dragonfly made its escape across the chattering water of the Eggford Brook. Defeated, Flora sank on the ground. She caught her breath. I guess, I guess it weren't meant to be. She sighed as she looked around her. She spotted the delicate, yolk-coloured flowers that had been her true quarry. Holding their heads higher than their spring counterparts, the cowslips appeared almost like floral swans amongst the leaf litter, proud and regal in their bearing. Flora could not help but laugh in delight. Thank you, Mr. Dragonfly, for showing me the way to these sunny beauties. Six, she picked, each stalk holding half dozen of the delicate little flower heads. Admiring each as she placed them with the rest of her flower hoard, Flora thought they suited the name her Uncle Bert called them. Fairy cups. These will make the perfect posy to cheer up Pa and Mary and Betty and Em. I'll go straight home and get them ready for when they come home. Satisfaction filled her heart as she rose up and began to make her way through the undergrowth she had run through in pursuit of the dragonfly. The thrush was still singing somewhere in the tree canopy, filling the early afternoon air with his melody. But the further Flora walked, the more unsure she became about her route. Had that beech tree been there? Where was the elder sapling she had first seen the dragonfly land upon? On and on she walked, and still there was no sign of the cleared path that ran through the vale. A startled pheasant spooked her as it fluttered up out of the bracken in alarm, and as she looked around her, Flora could feel a sense of dread coming over her. She was lost. Eyes darting from tree to tree, bramble to bramble, fern to fern, Flora desperately tried to find a single landmark that could guide her back to the path. As she began to walk quicker, the thorns and thistles that were concealed beneath the fronds of bracken began to catch her clothes and scratch her legs. Had it always been this overgrown and prickly? She hissed in pain as she brushed her hands against the leaf of a particularly tall nettle, and as a pair of wood pigeons noisily took flight beside her, Flora's courage gave out. She began to run through the woodland as fast as her legs could carry her, her breath coming in short, shallow gasps as she battled through the tangles of stinging and prickling plants. 
When she had chased the dragonfly, she had felt as fast as a hare, slipping through the greenery. But now it felt like a Herculean task. Tears began to prickle behind her eyes and her lungs were burning with the effort of running. Reaching a clearing, she took a moment to catch her breath. But as she looked around, she realised suddenly that she was back, in the same spot as where she had found the cowslips. Despair welled up inside her like a wave, and with a great sob, Flora sat down heavily upon the bare earth, covering her face with her scratched and bruised hands as she began to cry. I'll never find my way home. It's all so overgrown and every tree looks the same and I should have stayed on the path. I'll be lost out here forever and never see Pa or Mary or Betty or Em ever again. The tears flowed freely down her cheeks, dropping upon the soil like newly fallen rain. It seemed, but for the birds and the insects that hazed in the humid afternoon air, Flora was alone. But what would our story be if she had been alone? In the waters of the Eggford Brook, which babbled and chattered, but a few yards from where Flora wept, there lived a trio of water sprites. It was the youngest of them, Briny, that heard the sobs of the human child first, and in her curiosity stood upon one of the stones of the brook to get a better look. Oh dear, that human appears to be leaking water. I didn't know they did that. Something must be wrong with it. Where are you to, Briny? Briny's twin brother pulled himself up out of the flowing water, a freshly caught minnow in his hand. Look. There's a human leaking water from its eyes. Leaking water? That don't sound right. Well, it is. Look. These two sprites peered over at the crying girl, but the brother could not help but show his unease. We should steer clear of it. You know what Uncle Eddie always says about humans. Oh, you know Eddie's just a boring old bit of pondweed. I beg your pardon, missus? The eldest of the three sprites, and the proudest of them, stood upon a nearby stone. His silvery brow was furrowed in distemper giving him an almost ferocious look as he held his eel glaive in one hand. I am not a boring old bit of pondweed. I was only joshing, Eddie. Oh, boy, Queen Mab's crown you were. You stop it or you'll disturb the human. Human? Where? Over there. Turning his head and squinting, for his eyes were not what they once were, Eddie peered over at the crumpled figure of Flora and yelped in alarm. Quiet. It will hear you. Come on, you two. We need to leave. But it looks so sad. I don't care how it looks. It's a human. Humans mean nothing but trouble. But... This isn't up for debate. The human folk are selfish, greedy creatures. They've eaten away at the forest until there's only the veil left. And even here they grub out the evil iron from the earth. The iron that burns us fairy folk. I know, but... She's only a little one. And maybe if we help her, she'll think kindly of us fairies. Eddie sighed and shook his silvery head. Briny was young and knew little of the world. While her naivety was endearing, it was, at the same time, dangerous. She would trust a kingfisher with her catch if she were given the chance. Briny, my dear, humans is all the same. They're born with a badness inside them. That ain't fair. We don't even know her. Would it be fair to say all pixies are naughty and all gnomes smell of mouldy onions? Well... No, but that's different. How is it different? Because they's humans. Well, I don't think we should judge anyone because of what they are. That ain't fair or kind. Briny. Eddie, please. 
She's just one little human. A babber. Imagine if you saw a wee babber sprite crying like she and no one came to help her just because she was a sprite. Eddie's face contorted in conflict, but as his expression slowly relaxed into one of contrition, Bryony knew she had won. What do you want us to do? We're going to go over and ask her what's wrong. We're going to talk to her. Obviously. Helping usually involves some sort of communication. And with that, Bryony began to hop over the playful currents of the brook towards the shore, her brother and Eddie following behind. Bryony had never spoken to a human before, and as she approached the child, she wondered if the girl would understand her speech. Well, there was only one way to find out. Excuse me? No response. The child continued to sniffle and sob in her hands. Uh, ex- excuse me? Speak louder, Bryony. Oh, this is a bad idea. Excuse me, human child! Flora jumped in alarm, looking round her through tear-stained eyes. What she had mistook for the sound of the stream had suddenly formed into words, and as she wiped her eyes, she began to frown in confusion. There was no one there. Hello? With another start, Flora looked at the sparse ground in front of her, and her eyes widened at the sight she beheld. There, on the earth, standing at about ten inches tall, were three little people. Except they weren't exactly people, more people-shaped. But their skin was a shimmering silver, almost like the quicksilver they had in thermometers, while their hair was green like pondweed. Yet it was their eyes that were the most transfixing things of all. One... A girl, by the looks of her, had eyes of aquamarine, while the younger of the two little men had murky green eyes, and the elder had grey, almost white eyes. Afternoon. I'm dreaming. I must be dreaming. Beg pardon? Oh, no, she's gone dotty. This has to be a dream. Told you. Humans are strange folk. Best leave her. Oh, stop it, you two. She's just never seen fairy folk is all. This can't be real. Well, I'm afraid it is, missus. But fairies and hunky punks are just in stories. They ain't real. Well, we is. We's as real as you are. Hey, now, let's everyone calm down. I know a way we can prove it. Let's properly introduce ourselves. I'm Briny. Reaching out her little silver hand, Briny smiled up at Flora. The kind of smile that makes your heart lift. Warily, Flora took Briny's hand and gasped quietly. Though it was cool like a freshwater spring, Flora could feel the solidness of the sprite's hand and her eyes widened even more as she realised this was real and that she was shaking hands with a living fairy. What's your name? Flora. That's a nice name. It's good to meet you, Flora. These two noggerheads are my Uncle Eddie and my twin brother Bog. With that, the sprite with the green eyes puffed up with anger. That ain't my name, Briny. Well, it's the name everyone knows you by. Oh, not this again. Flora watched in bemusement as the siblings began to squabble over the young sprite's name. And in a strange way, it reminded her of the way Emily and Betty would bicker at home. Perhaps these hunky punks weren't so different from people. My name is Fed. Tisn't, it's Bog. Matt and Pa didn't name me after an outhouse, Briny. Perhaps not, but your fart certainly made you deserving of the name. The eldest of the sprites, Eddie, fell about laughing at that, 
and as Briny giggled and Bog folded his arms in a sulk, Flora couldn't help but laugh too. Now the human thinks I'm dirty. <laughs> no, I don't. It's a funny name, but I think you're beautiful. What could only be described as a blush began to form on young Bog's face, and his arms loosened around himself as he looked at Flora with wide eyes. Oh, well. Cheers. You're all beautiful. I've never seen anything like you before. Well, we don't tend to show ourselves your kind when he causes trouble. Oh. Why are you showing yourselves to me, then? You seem like you're in trouble, and I... We thought we might be able to help. Uh, I am. I am in trouble. I'm lost and I don't know how to get home. I have to get home before supper time or my family will be worried about me. Why are you in the woods? I wanted to pick some flowers for my pa. He's sad and I know he loves the wildflowers in the woods. The human loving flowers? Never heard the like. We do, or at least some of us do. My pa always tells me about the different plants and flowers and when we used to come to the Vale in the summer that that was when my pa was happiest and so I want him to be happy again. Flora sniffled and tried to hold back the tears that were threatening to overwhelm her again but she felt Bryony's small hand press against her arm comfortingly. They'll help get you home. How? We can get you there through fairy <coughs> What? The old sprite spluttered in shock, looking as though his pearl-coloured eyes might pop out of his head. We can't take a human through, through fairyland. We can if we disguise her. Are you ramping, Briny? What's the Goblin Council find out? As if the Goblin Council would ever see through one of your illusions, Eddie. You're the best charm caster in the whole of Wessex. Yet despite Briny's compliment, Eddie still looked unsure until Bog spoke. I think we should help her. She seems a good lass, not like the human folk you talk about, Eddie. She's different. Flora couldn't help but notice how the blush had spread to the tips of Bob's ears as he spoke. He reminded her of little Wesley Jessup, but cleaner. All right, all right. But if we get caught on your head, be it, young Briny. With that, Briny planted a kiss on her curmudgeonly uncle's cheek before turning to Flora in great excitement. Come on then, follow us. Flora scrambled to her feet as the sprite began to skitter along the side of the brook, moving with the speed of the water that flowed beside them. She was entranced by how they ran. It seemed less like running and more like dancing. It was difficult to keep up with them. Suddenly, the sprites halted and Flora almost tripped over herself in order not to step on the delicate little creatures. She looked down at them, puzzled as they stood by the side of the brook. Briny looked up at her as a question began to form in Flora's mind, but before she could ask it, Briny spoke. This is the entrance to Fairyland. I don't... I don't see anything. That's because we haven't summoned it yet. <laughs> a frown formed on Flora's brow, but then Eddie spoke in a commanding voice. Entrance to the fairy realm, home to Mab, our queen, and all her train. Grant us access via this brook that swells and flows with the coming rain. Flora watched in awe as the air above Egford began to shimmer and transform into a solid structure. In an instant, what had once been a clear waterway was now a bridge, and Flora reached out a hand to touch it to see if it was real. Not yet! We have to disguise you first. 
Why? Our kind don't trust humans. Many other punkies would not be too peaceful seeing a human walking through our home world. Oh, I see. But don't you worry. We can make you look just like us while you're in Fairyland to keep you safe. Eddie, it's time to do your magic. Clearing his throat, Eddie approached and looked up at Flora, motioning to her to bend down so he could reach up and place his hands upon her cheeks. From human child to fairy child, I see thee turn till darkness falls on this summer day. A cold shiver ran through Flora's body and suddenly she found herself standing at the same height as the three sprites. Blinking in confusion, she gazed down at her hands and was amazed to see they were as silvery as the punky trio. I'm a hunky punk! Only until sundown, then you'll be back to your normal human self. Now, come on, there's a ways to go before we get you home. And before Flora had any time to delight in her disguise, the three sprites were running across the fairy bridge. A moment of hesitance gripped her. She stood at the foot of the bridge. Mary had told her stories about goblins and pixies stealing children away into fairyland never to be seen again. But these fairies, they did not seem cruel or ill-intentioned. She believed them when they said they wanted to help, and why place this charm on her to keep her safe if they meant harm? Taking a deep breath, Flora made up her mind. She began to run, and in a moment she was over the bridge and found herself on the other side in fairyland. At first, it did not seem much different from the woodland she'd known before, but as she followed the three sprites through the tall bracken and nettles, she began to notice the strangeness of this world. What she initially thought were insects flittering through the air were in fact tiny winged people, pixies, with skin of different colours like thousands of flower petals, and as they ran past a grand flush of mushrooms, a top one sat what Flora instinctively knew to be a gnome. Even in the air there was a strange sparkling quality, almost like motes of dust caught in shards of light. What is that? It's beautiful! It's magic. Magic is everywhere. In the air we breathe, the food we eat, the water we drink. It's in everything. Flora was entranced as they ran through the fairy woodland. All her previous fears and worries melting away in wonderment at the world she found herself in. Everything seemed so much greener and the air was filled with birdsong once more. She could hear the blackbird's melody and the sparrow and a robin began to join in too. It was joyous hearing all the woodland give voice to the beauty of summer. As they came to a wooded clearing, the sprites halted again. Catching their breath from their run, and Flora suddenly noticed the difference in them. Their silvery skin had taken on a duller tone, as though they needed polishing, and the light in their beautiful eyes seemed diminished. What's wrong? Are you sick? No, Flora. We're just a way away from the b- brook and our power is weakening. We can't go on much further, Briny. I know. We can't leave her. Don't worry, I've got a friend who can help. With that, Briny threw back her head and cupped her hands around her mouth before uttering a call so strange that Flora could not hide the shock from her face. It was like a combination of a robin's song crossed with the chattering sound of a magpie. And before she could even think to ask its significance, 
Something fluttered down from the trees above onto the ground before them. At first, Flora thought it was a magpie, for it seemed covered in the white and black feathers of those curious birds. But then the figure began to straighten itself up and Flora realised it was a man dressed in a cloak of magpie feathers. Yet that wasn't the strangest thing about him. From his thatch of chestnut curls atop his head unfurled a pair of horns, like ram's horns. And as he began to walk towards their party, Flora realised that what she had thought were shoes on his feet were in fact hooves. Good morrow, Robin. Oh, no. Not Pup. Uncle, don't be so rude. Eddie, good to see you. You're still your old grouchy self, I see. You mind your own, Puck. <laughs> oh, you are in a spirited mood. It was when the Puck met her gaze and gave her a cheeky smile that Flora realised she had been staring at his horns. He had eyes the colour of oak leaves, a lighter and clearer green than Bob's eyes, and there was the beginnings of a beard sprouting from his chin that Flora could tell was carefully maintained. There was an air of mischief about this new punky that Flora could not miss. So what's this then? A changeling? Not exactly. Just a visitor. This is Flora. We found her lost in the wood by the brook and we were taking her back to her home. So? What do you need me for? You can see why. Uncle! Eddie grumbled irritably, clearly riled by the presence of the puck. But Robin seemed only to smile wider at the sprite's ire. The further we travel from the brook, the weaker our magic becomes. Ah, I see. A silence fell over the party and Flora looked between the fairies. The beginnings of worry started to return to her mind. If the sprite's magic gave out, would that mean her disguise would disappear? And if that disappeared, would this fearful goblin council be alerted to her presence in the wood? Finally, Robin spoke. So, you want me to take this... human the rest of the way? Obviously. Briny shot her uncle a warning glance, but the pup was already shaking his head. I'm afraid that's beyond my purview. We can reward you. With what? With as many elvers and minnows as you can stomach. See, I'm not a big lover of fish. For a moment, Flora thought all was lost as a look of defeat came over her sprite friend. But then the puck's eyes were drawn to something on Flora's person. What is that? His hand reached out to touch Flora's collarbone, and as she looked down in shocked surprise, she saw that he was touching the mother of pearl button on her blouse that poked up above her pinafore. Oh, that's a button. A button, you say? But it, it's a jewel, surely? No, it's, um, it's mother of pearl. Mother of pearl? Then it's more precious than a pearl? Flora opened her mouth to speak, but Briny jumped in before she could utter a sound. Yes, far more precious. At least five times that of an ordinary pearl. As she spoke, she gave Flora a look that said without speaking that Flora should play along. Well, this changes everything. I will escort this human child through the fairy realm for the price of her beloved mother of pearl, Botton. 
Briny beamed with delight, though Flora was filled with equal parts confusion and relief. While pretty, her button wasn't worth much, really. Such a tiny piece of Mother of Pearl was hardly a small fortune. Say your goodbyes to the child, and we'll be on our way. The puck gave them some space, and Briny pulled Flora in for a hug. It was so good to meet you, Flora. I hope you have a safe rest of your journey. Pulling back, Flora could see a smug look on Eddie's face. What's so funny? Oh, our Briny is check that puck good and proper. How so? Pucks love shiny things. Whether it be glass or diamonds, they can't resist it. It's the way they dress like a chatter Both pucks and chatterpies love the fool's gold. Oh, so we tricked him. Only a little. Like I said, he would have loved it even if he knew it wasn't worth much. And with that, Flora bid farewell to her water sprite friends. Eddie gave her a curt handshake while Briny hugged her once more. And just as she was about to go, Bog patted her on the arm. Stay safe, Flora. I will. Thank you, Fen. She was still beaming from the blush her words evoked in the young sprite as she walked over to the puck who was leaning against the beech tree, picking his nails. You ready, then? Yes, I... I am. All right, then. And in a similar fashion to what Briny had done, the puck threw back his head and cupped his hands around his mouth as he emitted a sound like a magpie's chatter. With that, a beautiful magpie fluttered down from the trees, hopping a few feet from them and settling its iridescent blue wings at its sides. Walking over to the bird, Robin reached out a hand to stroke its black neck feathers. Come on over, she won't bite. Flora could feel the bird's inky black eye watching her as she approached cautiously. Being small as a sprite made something the size of a magpie seem like a lion or an eagle. She was suddenly aware of how ferocious its long, snipping beak was. Ain't Chatterpie's bad luck? (laughs) Not unless you hurt one. Then they'll give you grief like there's no tomorrow. Yet still, Flora was nervous of the bird until Robin gently took her hand. Look, just stroke her breast feathers like this. See? And as Flora ran her fingers gently across the magpie's feathers, her fear began to subside. It was a beautiful bird, it had to be said. The clear distinctions between its white and black markings were seamless, and the iridescence of its wing feathers were themselves like mother of pearl. She's very beautiful. (laughs) I'm glad you think so. She is going to be our ride. Our what? It was then that Flora spotted there was a saddle attached to the magpie's back and her eyes widened in wonder. We're going to fly! That we are, little human. Come on, I'll help you up. And before she could protest, the puck had picked her up and hoisted her over the magpie's saddle. Flora gripped the edge of the saddle nervously as Robin swung himself on in front of her. Hold on! What? In an instant, the magpie was flapping her wings and they were suddenly a foot, two feet, three feet in the air and climbing. Flora felt as though her stomach was falling out from under her and her arms flew around Robin's waist in a vice-like grip, biting her tongue so it was not to scream. First time flyer, huh? <laughs> You'll get used to it. You're safe with me, kiddo. The magpie climbed higher into the treetops and Flora had to screw her eyes shut with the terror of it all. 
She didn't know whether to fully trust this cheeky puck, and the thought of tumbling from this great height to the woodland floor made her insides squirm uncomfortably. Yet, after a few minutes, the jolting feeling of the ascent smoothed out, and as Flora grew used to the rhythms of the magpie's wing beats beneath her, she began to feel more secure in her seat. Tentatively, she opened her eyes, and as she did, she was met with the glorious green of the tree canopy. The light of the afternoon made every leaf appear like the stained glass of a church. The shapes of the beech, oak, and elm leaves making different patterns of this arboreal vaulting. It's so beautiful! I know. Best way to see the world is on the wing, in my opinion. I think I might be the first human being ever to fly. Hmm. As they swept through the forest air on their chattermag steed, Flora suddenly caught a strong whiff of a distinctly garlicky pungence. Is that wild garlic? It sure is. We're entering goblin territory now. Fear prickled at the base of Flora's heart at the mention of goblins. Oh, don't worry. Goblins are harmless, really. They give the best parties and always get the best crop of fruits at harvest time. They're the most hard-working of us fairy folk, that's for sure. But they don't like humans. No, but you ain't a human right now, are you? You're just another little sprite in the fairy realm. Only until sundown. That will give us plenty of time until then. Time? Time for what? For the goblin summer fate! What? But... It was too late. The magpie was already descending towards the forest floor, and Flora could feel her heart in her mouth as the bird landed. Robin, wait! I have to get home! I have to get back to my family! And miss out on the party of a lifetime! A party no human has ever seen! Hopping off the magpie, he offered his hand to her. You'll be safe with me, I promise. Eddie's charm will hold until sundown and we'll leave well before then. You deserve to have some fun while you're here. And it will be a great story to tell your family. Flora was still unsure. What if the charm failed? What if the goblins could sense she wasn't really a sprite? What if they stayed too long? Yet a part of her wanted to see what a goblin party was like. The thought of hunky punk singing and dancing filled her with intrigue, and there had been so little merriment in her life in these recent months. Perhaps if she went just for a little while. All right, but only for an hour at most. The beam that lit up the puck's face was utterly contagious, and as he helped Flora down off the magpie, she was grinning from ear to ear giving the magpie a final stroke of her breast feathers as way of thanks for their ride. Flora skipped after Robin as he made his way through the undergrowth. As they walked through the forest of nettles and ferns, the smell of garlic grew stronger. Ugh! It stinks round here! Really? <sighs> I kind of like it. Goblins grow the wild garlic for their winter food. It's very tasty in a soup or a stew. On they walked, and the further they went, Flora began to hear what sounded like music. Joyous, happy party music, the kind of music you could dance and jig to. 
The tune grew louder as she began to hear singing voices accompanying it. And as they came to the brow of a small hollow, Flora was met by the sight of the goblin summer fate. At about eight inches tall, goblins are smaller than sprites, but stockier in build. They weren't pretty like sprites, but they weren't exactly ugly either, even though their skin was green. As Flora watched them dance in the centre of the hollow, she was in awe of the way they moved with such lithe grace. While some jigged and tapped their toes to the rhythm of the goblin band that had set themselves up at the edge of the hollow, others somersaulted and flipped through the air in shows of unbelievable acrobatics and strength. At one end of the hollow there sat a party of older-looking goblins, one of whom was wearing a crown of dog roses. Flora presumed them to be the leader, yet as she took in the wondrous sights of the party, she became utterly transfixed by the feast table. She had never in her life seen so much food on one table. There were pies and pastries, man chips and buns, but most abundant of all was the fruit. Plums, blueberries, blackberries, strawberries, damsons and quinces, sloes and cloudberries and bilberries, green gauges, cherries, persimmons and mulberries, and then some fruit she did not even recognise each as ripe and succulent as she ever had seen fruit be. Flora could almost taste the tartness of the green gauges, the woody decadence of the cherries, the irresistible sweetness of the strawberries. But as she gazed at the table of delights, Robin drew her attention back. Now listen, Flora, it's very important you understand. You can dance and sing and laugh with the goblins all you like, but... You must not eat any of their food. What? But why? Because as soon as you eat any food or drink any drink from Fairyland, any enchantments that may conceal you will fall away. So if I eat any of their food or drink any of their drink, they'll see I am a human? Yes. Flora's heart sank. And for a moment, she felt overwhelmed with sadness at this strange caveat. But as she followed Robin down into the hollow, the joyousness of the party atmosphere began to infect her. Afternoon, all. Robin, good fellow. Well, there's a turn up for the books. Thought I'd come and see what the fuss is all about. Maybe have a couple of scrumpy. <laughs> this is Flora. She's a flower sprite. Hello, Flora. I'm Flint. I'm this old hobgoblin's cousin, though you wouldn't think it to look at us. Oh, but I thought Robin was a puck. I am. Mostly. And so Flora was introduced to the goblin party, who welcomed the apparent flower sprite with warm regards. There was Beryl and Amethyst, two rather pretty young sisters who had a penchant for blackberry picking, and Jasper and his wife Citrine, who were expecting their first flower. Then there was Jet and Cobalt and Mika who were hoping to be the next big names in the goblin cider business. All were so welcoming and jovial that Flora almost forgot there was any animosity shared between goblins and humans. But it was as Robin led Flora to the group of distinguished looking goblins at the end of the hollow that she felt her nerves return. The goblin who wore the crown of dog roses was a particularly fearsome looking she-goblin, dressed in robes of gold and oak leaves. The most renowned and respected of all goblin kind 
Lady Esmeralda. May I present Flora, a humble flower sprite of the Beechwood. Flora could feel herself shrinking under Esmeralda's steely gaze, but Flora felt the coldness was not entirely directed at her. Is this some attempt at a gift, Robin? My lady, I would never dream Oh, please, dream to... spare me your silver tongue. You may be my sister's son, but you are more like your father in your deceptions. Flora could feel Robin's demeanor tense, and for what felt like an age, the two fairies glared at one another, until a smile spread across Esmeralda's face, making her appear almost beautiful. But you are my sister's son, and today is our summer fate, so it is not the time for quarrels and grudges. Those are for another day. Eat, drink, and make merry. The tension lifted, and Flora could feel herself breathing again. Thank you, Auntie. I appreciate your benevolence more than words could describe. Good, because I'm getting rather tired of your sycophancy, young Robin. Flora was relieved to get away from Esmeralda's intimidating presence. Glancing at Robin, she could see the puck was equally relieved. What did you do to upset her so much? I may or may not have swapped the sugar in her kitchens for salt. Oh no! Ruined a lot of fruit pies, but it was hilarious to see the look on her face. Flora could not help but giggle at that, and as they returned to the revelers, Flora found herself being pulled into a dance by Amethyst and Beryl. Come on, Flora, let's have a dance! And though she struggled to get the moves and was not nearly as nimble as her goblin dance partners, Flora felt her heart lifting with the sheer joy of the party. She danced and laughed with abandon as the goblin band struck up a new tune, feeling all her old worries and cares washed away. Beneath you more than you 
jigged and spun around like a whirligig, hardly able to breathe through her laughter. As the song drew to a close, she took a moment to catch her breath, moving to the edge of the dance floor and standing close to the feast table. Her eyes were once more drawn to the cornucopia of fruit and sweet delights on the table, and as she looked, her stomach began to rumble. It was then she realised how hungry she was. Having eaten nothing since her small breakfast of stale bread that morning, and as her stomach announced its hunger, her eyes fell upon the most beautiful bowl of blackberries she'd ever seen. A favourite of hers that she'd often scrumped from the hedgerows in September. She could feel her mouth watering at the reminiscent flavour of the fruit. Surely one little blackberry won't break the charm entirely. Maybe if I eat half of one, it will mean the charm will break a bit earlier than sundown. Her stomach rumbled in agreement, and with that, she picked up the juiciest blackberry in the bowl. Raising it to her lips, she bit into the succulent fruit and beamed as the tart juices filled her mouth. It was by far the most delicious blackberry she had ever tasted, and as she chewed slowly to savour its flavour, she did not realise the hush that had suddenly fallen over the hollow. She swallowed and sighed with satisfaction, opening her eyes only to be met by a sea of silent, shocked goblin faces. Her blood ran cold when she looked down at her hands. She realised that they were no longer the beautiful quicksilver of her sprite form. Oh, no! She's a human! The goblins suddenly erupted in cries of outrage and chiefest amongst them was the voice of Esmeralda. Robin Goodfellow, you dare to bring a human child into the heart of the fairy realm and trick us, your kindred, into making merry with her? Flora watched as the crowd parted around Robin, whose usual languid expression has transformed into one of fear. Oh, my lady! Oh, don't you dare say you didn't know. You have defiled our customs and made friends with our sworn enemy. You will be punished for this, as will the child. Shouts of agreement rose up from the crowd turned mob, and as the goblins moved to grab Robin, she heard the puck yell to her across the din. Flora, run! Run now! As fast as you can! Go! And Flora did just that. Scrambling out of the hollow, Flora ran as fast as her legs could carry her, and as she ran, she heard Lady Esmeralda give her dreaded order. Bat riders, to your mounts! I want that human child back here by sundown. So the chase through the fairy realm began. At first, Flora thought she had a decent head start, sweeping through the beech woodland with nimble speed. But it wasn't long before she heard the bats. The rustling of wings and faint high squeaking above alerted her to her presence as she looked up. She could see the flying beast's goblin mounts sat astride their backs on delicately crafted saddles, not unlike the magpie's saddle. Then the arrows began to fall. Crafted from spines of dried teasel heads, the arrows pierced through Flora's clothes and pricked and scratched her skin. She needed to find cover or at this rate she'd end up like a pincushion. Beginning to feel desperate as more and more arrows pricked her, she spotted a thicket of brambles and nettles. This is gonna hurt. But she had to take her chances. Diving towards the tangle of briars, Flora squeezed through the prickling and stinging plants as best she could. 
thorns and stingers scraped and scratched and stung and for a moment Flora thought she'd end up tangled forever in the thicket, like a fly trapped in a spider's web. But finally she reached a hollow spot, collapsing under the protective roof of brambles. Tears of pain and anger and frustration began to pour down her cheeks as she sobbed bitterly. Oh, what a stupid girl I've been! Robin told me not to eat anything in the fairy realm, but I just couldn't help myself. Now I'm going to be stuck here forever and never see Pa or Mary or Betty or Em ever again, and it's all my fault! In utter despair, Flora cried and cried until her chest began to ache. Everything had gone so terribly wrong and she wished that she'd never set foot in Vallis Vale. She wanted so desperately to get back home, but the possibility of doing so seemed almost non-existent. Yet, as she cried, the creatures that had made the Bramble Patch their home began to scuttle out from their shelters to investigate this new visitor. Wolf and money spiders scuttled to the crumpled little girl with eight watchful eyes trained on her, while centipedes and earwigs kept a more cautious distance. But it was the woodlice that were the most curious, shuffling in their funny manner to gently brush their antennae against Flora's hands by way of invertebrate greeting. Suddenly feeling the creeping, tickling sensation against her skin, Flora squeaked and then squealed in alarm at all the curious insects. In fright and disgust, she lashed out at them, knocking the woodlice away. Get away from me, you horrible things! Leave me alone! I ain't dead for you to feed on! And just as she was half-crushing a particularly large woodlouse, the earth in front of her began to erupt. In her terror, Flora thought perhaps it were a mole coming to dispatch her, but instead, a more human-like head popped out of the mound. Don't you touch them Grandfur gravies, missus! They ain't done you no harm! Staring in amazement, Flora watched as the muddy individual excavated themselves out of the earth. Standing at its full height, it was about as tall as the goblins, but there was a plump softness about the fairy's features that reminded Flora of a field mushroom. And it was when the fairy brushed off its cap from out its pocket and popped it on its head that Flora knew it was a gnome. What do you think you're doing hurting these poor creepy crawlers? You come into their home and start trying to squash them? Where's your manners? I'm sorry, they just fl- frightened me is all. Frightened indeed, of a little chuggy pig like this. Poor Bernard, he scared out his wits. And Flora's eyes widened as the gnome scooped up the woodlouse Flora had been accosting as though it were a baby. She watched in amazement as the gnome fussed over the bizarre creature, the woodlouse's legs wriggling as the fairy tended to its damaged carapace. Your lucky Bernard is as tough as he is. You could have killed him. Then you really would have been in for it. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was yours. It ain't mine. He ain't anyone's but himself's. I just likes to keep an eye on him. Oh, but why? They're not all that pretty or even very sweet. A grandfather gravy can be plenty sweet, if you treat it right. Besides, is something less deserving of care and affection just because it's not pretty? I suppose not. Well then, not surprised, mind you. 
Human babber like you, you folk don't understand nothing about nature. That's not true. We know plenty. My pan knows lots about wildflowers. Oh, does he now? And yet he's got a kiddie like you running around trying to squash any creepy crawler that crosses our path. You know, if it weren't for these here creatures, you wouldn't have none of your wildflowers. In fact, without these lot and their cousins the bees, we wouldn't have nothing. The whole world would be dead and done for. Is that... is that true? Wouldn't be saying it if it weren't. We owe a lot to these here creepy crawlers. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, there's a lot of things you human folk don't know. You don't understand about balance. You've always got to have lots and lots of something. Never just a little, never just enough. It has to be more. Look at them ironworks. In the wood, for example. It it didn't used to be that bad. You're grubbing out of the burning iron, but then a few decades ago, you lot go barmy about it. Every year, more and more of the vale is getting gobbled up and you're even disrupting the old rivers and the brook. Tint right. The iron is destroying the vale? Slowly but surely. I have cousins who live up north and it's even worse up there. Whole forests gone. Ancient woodland cut down and uprooted to make room for your human houses and your factories and mills. And the more you encroach on fairyland with your iron and steel machines, the less we fairies can do to stop the damage you bring on the earth. What's wrong with iron? It burns us, girl. Like a fiery brand, it burns our flesh and kills us dead. Ain't nothing worse for a fairy than iron. That's why the goblins round here have taken such umbrage against you. Many of them lost family and loved ones because your kind destroyed their homes and with those ironworks. That's awful. No wonder they want to catch me. Yep. That's the long and the short of it. There was a pause as Flora thought for a moment about the conversation she'd overheard between her sister and her father. It seemed, even if the fairies did not know it, that their problem was already solving itself. Well... It may not be an issue anymore around these parts. Oh, so? My pa, he works at the Fussell Iron Works and he said that they'll probably be shutting down soon. Can keep up with the competition. And you think they'll stop? My pa seems pretty certain of it. The gnome sat and ruminated on this news for a moment before reaching into its waistcoat pocket and pulling out a small clay pipe. Flora watched as the fairy filled the bowl with what looked like dried nettles before striking with a tinderbox. The thicket filled with the aromatic smoke of the gnome's pipe and Flora stifled a sneeze as the gnome once again spoke. Well, that'll certainly make things easier to heal up the woodland. You mean it would come back? Of course it could, with some time and if humankind left it alone. But then... Humans could come back and use it for something else, like like to build houses. That's true enough. They sat in thoughtful silence again, and the gnome began to stroke a woodlouse that had scuttled up to her side like a dog or a cat would. Maybe, maybe there is a way that we can bring the woodland back, but doing it together, human and fairy kind. The gnome looked at her curiously 
and Flora bounced on her knees with the excitement of her idea. Things don't have to go back to the way they were, either before when the wood was just the fairies' land or like now when it was human land. Maybe humans could learn to look after it too, just like fairies do, but protect it from other human beings where fairies can't. Seems a bit far-fetched to me. Humans don't care about nature. But, but we do. My pa with his wildflowers and, and even me now with these creepy crawlers, I now know how important they are. That even though they aren't as pretty as a dog or a horse, they still have every right to be treated well. I think it's all about learning. I just think lots of people haven't learnt to love and care for nature like fairies do. And the gnome regarded Flora then with an expression that was hard to read. But as the fairy knocked out the ashes from their pipe, they spoke again. I think you might be onto something there, my babber. Perhaps if more people were like you, human folk could treat nature better. Use a part of it, after all, in your own strange way. Only problem is, if those goblins are still after you, I doubt you'll be able to get back home to spread your message. Flora's heart sank. The gnome was right. She did not know her way through Fairyland, and with the goblins pursuing her, her chances of finding her way home was next to impossible. Flora felt at a loss. Sensing her despair, the gnome patted her on the back. Don't worry. You can stay with me in my bramble patch. At least till the spring, then you can pick a half dozen primroses and you'll be right as rain. What's so special about primroses? Them's a goblin's favourite flower. They uses them as currency during the spring season. They use them in their potions and medicines to help with their aching muscles after a hard day's work tending to the forest. It's a shame that this didn't all happen during the springtime. I think they'd even forgive a human if they had enough primula. Flora's brow furrowed in thought. Primroses. There was something she knew about primroses. For now, why don't we have a nice cup of nettle tea? Tea always sets everything right. It was niggling in the back of her head. Something about primroses from her dream. And Bernard can come sit up in your lap and you can give him a stroke. He's a good little chuggy pig, really. Very affectionate. She remembered her father telling her something in her dream. Cowslips! Pardon? Cowslips are primroses. Flora dug into the big front pocket of her pinafore, gazing down into the collection of somewhat squashed flowers. She hoped desperately that the little yellow cowslips weren't too damaged. Relief washed over her as she extracted one from underneath her collection of king cups and columbine. Well, I'll be. Tis a pretty flower, and it is a cousin of the spring primrose. I must have at least a dozen of them. Do you think the goblins will accept them? I think it's worth a try. And so Flora and the gnome began to form a plan. Flora would emerge from out that bramble patch and meet the goblins face to face. If they would not accept the gift, the gnome promised she would give Flora sanctuary until a payment of true primroses could be met. 
But Flora hoped she would not have to stay with the gnome for such a long time. As nice as the fairy was, she would miss her family dreadfully. Leading her through to the entrance of the patch so she wouldn't have to struggle through the briars again, the gnome offered Flora a hand to shake. I wish you luck, little Flora. Thank you for all your help. Oh, I, um, I never asked your name. It's all right. My name's Anna. Flora blinked in surprise. All this time she presumed the name was male. In truth, it was difficult to distinguish what gender the hunky punk was, for it wore its hair short and had clothes that were more masculine to a human's eyes. We gnomes ain't like you humans. We don't go much in for the division of labour. To us, a gnome's a gnome. Just because one of us has the babbers don't mean we can't do what our menfolk do. Well, with all the hard work my sisters do, I think that should be the same for humans. Maybe that's another thing you folk can learn from us fairies. Shaking the gnome's hand warmly, Flora turned and faced the little front door to Anna's home. She had to be brave now. She had to face the goblins and offer them her gift, and if she could, she would reason with them too. Opening the door, she stepped out into the warm light of the late afternoon and walked onto the open beechwood floor. <coughs> Goblin kind of the Vallis Vale, I, Flora Dimpsey, call upon the grace of Queen Mab to speak with you. She heard the chittering of the horseshoe bats before she saw their dark bodies fluttering through the trees. One by one, the strange flying creatures landed upon the mossy rocks and stones that were scattered through the clearing, their goblin riders dismounting. Flora tried her hardest not to look too long at any of the goblins whose expressions were variations of fury and cold disgust, so instead her gaze fell upon the goblins' curious mounts. She'd always thought bats to be nasty, evil creatures because she'd heard stories of witches and their infernal familiars, but as she looked at them now with new eyes, she thought they were sweet. Though their snouts were oddly compressed, their perked ears reminded her of a terrier and their fluffy bodies looked as soft as gossamer. Anna had been right. Just because something may not fit one's idea of beauty or sweetness, it did not make a creature any less deserving of existence. Yet her attention was drawn back to the goblins as a beautiful, jet-black crow fluttered down amongst the goblin party upon whose back sat the Lady Esmeralda. Moving with the regal grace of a queen, Esmeralda dismounted the crow and behind her, a young goblin pulled a familiar figure into sight. It was Robin Goodfellow, his hands bound in ivy shackles. She met his gaze and though Flora could see the fear in his eyes, she would not let it tarnish her resolve. So, human child, do you yield to my goblin band or must we take you by force? Actually, I have come to offer a truce. The goblin band began to laugh, but was silenced when the Lady Esmeralda raised her hand. There can be no truce between fairy and humankind. But what if I told you that things are changing in the human world? That the ironworks that have harmed your woodland and scarred your people, that is failing. That in the days to come, there will no longer be any 
ironworks in Ballas Vale. That, that is impossible. The ironworks have been here for generations. How could it ever possibly fail? I don't know, but it's true. My pa, he works for the Fussell Ironworks and, well, we're near destitute because he can't even earn what he did. I came here because, because I wanted to cheer my pa up with the wildflowers he loves so much. Reaching into her pinafore pocket, Flora produced her collection of flowers, handling each with care. I wanted to make a tutty for him and my sisters, because there aren't much else I can do to help. But, you see, the thing is, we humans, we do love the woods. We love nature. It brings us joy in so many different ways. My pa, could recite all the names of the wildflowers in the Vale, if he could. And my sisters and I love to scrub the fruits and paddle in the brook and climb the trees and play. And the thing is, we humans, we are a part of nature. At Holy Trinity, the, the vicar says we were made to care for the world and all its creatures. And I made a friend today who reminded me of that. We have a duty to look after the world we live in. Just as you fairy folk do. You've just forgotten is all. Tears began to roll down Flora's cheeks as she spoke, her heart aching at the thoughts of her father and sisters. She so wanted to be with them again, but so too did she want to share with them the love she'd found for this place. Even though it had frightened her, even though she had been scratched and wounded by its thorns and briars, she loved the veil so intensely. It was a part of her hometown, the oldest and wildest part, and that was what made it so special. That was what made her love it. If I can go home, I want to help remind the human folk of why we should care for places like the Vale. Because without it, I think we'd be very unhappy and sickly people indeed. We would be nothing more than joyless machines that work and work and do nothing else but work. I see what that's done to my sisters and how they've shrunk and changed. I don't want to live in a world where every person's like that. Because what songs can be sung about weaving looms or poems written about iron smelting? What is living without those things? Boring and miserable and empty is what it would be. Her speech concluded and her heart aching still at the thought of her family. Flora looked at the Lady Esmeralda with tear-filled eyes. The Goblin Queen seemed at first to be unmoved by her words, yet in the She-Goblin's amber eyes there seemed the hint of something a little gentler than hatred. Your words seem honest and your intentions true, but how will you achieve this? You were just one little girl. Well, my pa always said you have to begin somewhere. Great rivers start out as little streams. You just need other little streams to join it. And do you think you can convince other little streams to join you? I don't know for sure, but I want to try. The Goblin Queen regarded Flora for a long moment. Flora could feel her heart beating hard in her chest and she could see the anxiety on Robin's face as he stood between two rather burly-looking goblins. Then try you shall. I will accept this truce. Cries of shock and outrage rose up from the goblin party. But she's a human! We can't trust the word of a human! If the Lady Edmerelda trusts her, then so should we. It still ain't right. She ruined our summer fate. She has to pay for that. But I can! 
gap. And after careful extraction from her pinafore pocket, Flora produced the six cowslip stalks. My friend, Anna, she told me of your love for primroses and I know they ain't exactly like the primroses in spring, but they're still beautiful. Reaching out her hand, she offered the cowslips with their many little butter-coloured heads to Esmeralda for appraisal. Six flowers to every stalk. Impressive. Oh, they aren't really primroses. But they are in the primula family. Yes, we will accept this gift, Flora Dimpsey. Oh, but they ain't the same! Oh, be quiet, Cobalt. There's more flowers there than you've ever had the chance to line your pockets with. The two goblins guarding Robin could not help but snigger at the puck's quip, and even Esmeralda looked amused. I do believe that this amount of primula could translate to a handsome fee, even enough to see a young girl safely through the fairy realm and back home to her human family. Robin winked at Flora before smiling impishly at his aunt who only rolled her eyes. You always were creative with monetary exchanges, Robin, but I think in this instance you are correct. You'll really help me find my way home. More than that. I will provide you with my own goblin escort to see you through. However, you must swear to me that you will carry out what you spoke of here today. The veil must be protected, and we fairies will hold our truth with humankind so long as our woodland is kept safe. I swear, I swear I will do all that I can to protect the Vallis veil. Very well then. Now, Robin told me you were a skilled magpie rider. But I bet you've never flown by bat's wing before. And so, for the second time that day, Flora flew through the fairy realm. This time on the back of a lesser horseshoe bat, whose fur was just as soft as she had imagined it to be. The light was beginning to fade as the goblin band descended once more in a clearing of ferns. It would be supper time soon and Flora remembered her promise to Mary. Just make sure you're back in time for supper, Flo. Dismounting, Flora realised they were only a few feet away from the path that ran through the veil, and as she ventured forth, something inside her caused her to pause. Turning back to her fairy companions, her gaze first met with that of Esmeralda. Thank you for, for helping me home. I was wondering, if you ever come across the water sprites, Briny, Eddie and Bob, could you make sure they know how grateful I am for their help? Perhaps awarding them the best fishing ground along the River Mel should suffice. <laughs> I'm sure it will, thank you. It was then she looked upon Robin Goodfellow, and as her hand reached up to pull her mother of pearl button, the puck reached out to stop her. Today's adventure was payment enough, little human. It was very good to meet you. The puck was completely surprised as the girl hugged him then. But even he could not conceal the smile from his face. Pulling away from their embrace, Flora turned once more towards the path, gazing at the dirt track. I wish my family could meet you all, and I wish, I wish I could come back one day. Maybe one day I could... But as she turned to look over her shoulder at the fairy band, she realised they had gone. Her eyes filled with tears as she felt as though she might cry until the chattering call of a magpie drew her attention to the tree canopy. 
As she looked at the handsome black and white bird, she could have sworn just before it took flight that it winked at her. Flora Dempsey made her way home. Then as she crossed the threshold of her family home, she was met by the familiar voices of her sisters. There she is! I thought she was probably just playing by the brook. Little Flo, we've been so worried. Oh goodness, Flo, look at your dress! But their voices melted away as the figure of her father rose up from his seat at the kitchen table. And where have you been, young'un? Scared your sisters half to death, you have! Flora fiddled with her hands guiltily. I'm sorry, Pa. I was up in the woods in the Vale and I, well, I overheard you and Mary last night. I know I shouldn't have been eavesdropping, but I, I heard how worried and sad you were and I wanted to do something to cheer you all up. So I went to the Vale to pick some flowers like the ones you showed me last summer. The sternness in her father's face dissipated and then even Mary looked gentler. Oh, little Flo, you didn't have to do that. I know, I just... I wanted to help in some small way. Well, I think that's just about the kindest thing I've heard all day. And opening up his arms, Flora moved forward to be wrapped up in her pa's warm embrace. Her sisters joined too, each of them holding their small yet beloved family. Pulling back, John Dimpsey began to laugh. <laughs> you sure them's flowers you picked, Flo? <laughs> Feels more like rocks. Frowning, Flora reached down into her pinafore pocket, and as she withdrew her hand, the whole family gasped. <gasps> Gold? How? Flora stared in amazement at the orbs of glittering gold in the palm of her hand. She couldn't believe it. How was this possible? Where did it come from, Flo? I... I don't know. Well, wherever it came from, it's magic. And John Dempsey wasn't entirely wrong. For while goblins valued and treasured the primroses of the spring, they had little use for gold. Later that evening, as the family settled down to bed, still buzzing with the excitement of this strange new fortune, Flora discovered a note in her pinafore pocket. For Flora Dimity, a little parting gift from your friends in the bed. The Dimpsey family was saved, at least for a time, but Flora did not forget her promise to the fairy folk. In the months that followed Flora's adventure in the fairy realm, John Dimpsey set about starting his own business as a seed merchant, selling all types of plant seeds from ornamental garden plants to vegetable and fruit varieties. As the business bloomed, as prosperous as the goblins' beloved primroses in springtime, the family's financial security was assured, and John Dimpsey made the decision to see his girls properly educated and prepared for the world beyond their childhood. Flora excelled in botany and biology, and as she turned from a child into a young woman, she decided to herself become a teacher and to share her knowledge and love of nature with the children of Froom Town. Miss Dimpsey became a beloved schoolmistress, and on the weekends, she would invite the children of working families to explore the Vallis Woods and show them the different plants and creatures that dwelt there. 
Indeed, Flora was like many individuals who strived in the 19th and 20th centuries to ensure that many parts of our countryside would be protected from industry and development so that generations of people could enjoy the beauty and wonders of nature. It's thanks to these individuals that places like Vallis Vale still exist as a natural haven. And since 1986, Vallis Vale has been designated a site of special scientific interest and a special area of conservation, ensuring its safety from future development or interference. But what of Flora? Did she ever get to see her fairy friends again? Well, there are some that say that every evening around dusk, the sweet school teacher could be seen chatting to a bird from her bedroom window. Many say the bird was a nightingale, or even an owl, but others say it was a bird far more special than either. A magpie. Gallivanting Goblins is an original audio drama, first recorded in August 2020. It was commissioned as part of Wassail Theatre Company's Connecting Communities project. It was written by Alexandra Riku, with original music and lyrics by Danielle Sharp and creative collaborations by Beth Fiducia Brooks. The cast included Danielle Sharp as the narrator and Flora, Matt Salmon as Pa and Robin Goodfellow, Matilda Dickinson as Mary and Bryony, Beth Fiducia Brooks as Betty, Tiffany Rhodes as Emily and Amethyst, Patrick Withy as Bog and Flint, Russell Eccleston as Eddie and Cobalt, Tabitha Cox as the Lady Esmeralda, and Alexandra Riku as Anna the Gnome. Gallivanting Goblins was edited and produced by Danielle Sharp.